0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke from the 18th chapter, glory to you, O Lord. Our gospel this morning comes from Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 17, and can be found on page 1628 of your pew Bible. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. So this morning we heard a parable, a story, if you will, where Jesus told uh, this, that to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's from Luke chapter 18. And, and we call this story, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And we may know the story very well because we've heard it many times. But how well do we know the meaning? Maybe a, a better question to ask yourself, I ask myself, is this. How well do I apply How well do I apply the meaning of this parable to myself? The parable in and of itself is is simple to tell. A Pharisee and a tax collector went to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee spent his whole prayer bragging about himself. And the tax collector confessed his sin, and he he begged for mercy. And both men got exactly, exactly what they wanted. The Pharisee received the admiration of the people around him, and the tax collector received God's mercy. The tax collector was justified, and the Pharisee, was not. And even though the tax collector sinned greatly, God declared him to be righteous. And even though the Pharisee's life looked very good to the public, he was still damned in his sin. Jesus could not have chosen two people of greater contrast than a Pharisee and a tax collector. Back in the day that this was told, people looked at, at, to the Pharisee with a, a great deal of admiration. People looked down on tax collectors synonymous with the scum of the earth. People hated tax collectors because they worked for the Romans who currently occupied the land of Israel. Tax collectors basically had a franchise relationship with the Roman occupation, and here's how it worked. A tax collector would bid for the rights to a certain territory. Rome would give the right to collect taxes to the highest bidder, and any taxes that the tax collector could get over and above his bid, well, that was his to keep. And in return, Rome would back up the tax collector. How? Well, they would back up the tax collector with law enforcement. The law enforcement arm of the Roman army. And it is simply amazing how much you can collect in taxes when you have a few Roman soldiers with you to help you when you collect them. Rome did not care how many taxes were collected. They didn't have a maximum or a minimum as long as Rome got its money. And Rome didn't really care if the tax collectors got insanely rich. And from the point of view of the taxpayer, it was a lot like a protection racket, but it was legal because Rome didn't care. And it should not surprise anyone that most of the population absolutely hated tax collectors. And then there were the Pharisees. The Pharisees worked hard at their public relations. It was very important to them to Well, they needed to look good. Most people thought the Pharisees were the very best examples of righteous living in their culture. And you could expect a Pharisee to be obsessive about living according to the law. And the problem that a Pharisee had was in his motivation for keeping the law. You could say he lived according to the law so that he looked good to his neighbors, but he also lived according to the law so that it looked good to God. And that's the big problem right there. You see, it is impossible to keep the law in a way that God intended it. If you are going to deceive yourself into thinking that you can keep the law, you have to whittle away at it, little by little, until it becomes doable. That is what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees developed over 600 guidelines for living, guidelines that they called laws. And if you knew those laws really, really well, you would discover that they had, well, they had loopholes in them. Ways to get around the law without really sinning. And if you knew these laws well and used them skillfully, you could deceive yourself into thinking that you were living a righteous life. And the Pharisees taught that salvation only began with God's mercy, but then each man had to contribute to his own salvation with a righteous life. To those who teach rules for living today, to those pastors that preach how-to sermons, they're not doing anything new. It's just like the Pharisees. The Pharisees were doing that a long time ago. So when the Pharisees prayed, that Pharisee that we read about prayed, he bragged with a long list of all of his good deeds. The fact of the matter is that he probably did everything that he mentioned in his prayer according to the law that he had learned in Pharisee school. And he probably He probably really did keep the law as he knew it. And the tragedy is this, that in spite of his best effort, he was totally lost. Now on the other hand we have the tax collector and he is a living image of repentance. He knows that he is saturated in sin. He is Aware that he deserved punishment every day of his life and forever in hell. He knew that he had earned the entire weight of God's wrath with his sin. And even so, he looked to God for mercy. And he believed that God was his only hope. He did not depend on himself, but entirely On God and Jesus said this man went down to his house justified Luke 18 verse 14 now in this parable Jesus gives us a picture of the two main classes of religion that are throughout this world while there are thousands of religions in the world they all break down into just two categories In one category, they are all, where all the religions are, they ask that you do something, you do some work, you put in some effort for your own salvation. And in the other category, well, there's only one, and that is Christianity. The one and only religion that asks nothing of you for your salvation. Christianity is about God doing all the work of saving us. The world is full of false religions. These religions are out there to suit every whim of the heart. For example, Islam has five pillars. Buddhism has the eightfold path. Reincarnation Teaches you that you are born into this world of suffering again and again until you get it right. Better luck next time. The prophets of Baal in the Old Testament were trying to earn Baal's favor when they cried aloud and they they cut themselves. And uh, it was their custom to cut themselves with swords and lances until the blood gashed out. It just gushed out upon them. And if you want to look that up, uh, it's 1 Kings 18.28. And since we are dealing with the lies of false religion, they truly can be anything that you want them to be. And the truth is that they will all be about you making yourself worthy of your own salvation. A false religion may not require you to do everything for your salvation but it will require you to do something. Christianity on the other hand Christianity recognizes one simple fact and that is I cannot I cannot save myself. No one can. Instead, Christianity proclaims a salvation where God does all of the work of salvation. And he even sends the Holy Spirit to establish faith in me because I can't even believe in him on my own effort. As Martin Luther states in the small catechism, he says, he writes, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. Christianity proclaims a salvation that is a free gift from God. I do, you do, nothing for salvation. God does it all. It is by the Holy Spirit's gift of faith that the tax collector can enter the, ta- the temple and say this, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because God does all of the work, all of the work of salvation, and he is faithful, he is true, he is almighty, and he is all-knowing. Christianity gives you certainty of your salvation. You can be 100% certain of your salvation because you do nothing. God. God does it all. He earned our salvation for us, and he delivers that salvation to us, and he takes the dead soul and brings it to life. Now, the Bible certainly sets forth the work of God in earning our salvation. It, 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 it puts it plain, and I'm going to read a whole bunch of different scriptures, so brace yourselves. Maybe even take a note for the—I'll I'll cite the, the source, the address for you. First, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Paul's letter to the Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. First of all, the Son of God took on our human flesh in order to take our place. And he took our place under the law and he lived a perfect life. And that is impossible for us to do, for Scripture says this For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. That's Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 5, verse 19. So then God laid the sin of the entire world on him so that he became a great sinner in God's eyes, as the Bible tells us. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. And then he, Jesus, surrendered his body to men who nailed it To a cross. Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equally or equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians 2, 6 through 8. And this, by his perfect life and his death on the cross, he was reconciled us to God and earned salvation for all people. You who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul's letter to the church in Colossi, Colossians 1, 21 through 22. And finally, first in John, 1 John 2, 2, John writes, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus, the Son of God, has earned salvation for us, but that salvation would be useless if God did not also deliver that salvation to us. For the Bible says this, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It also says, You were dead in the trespasses of sins. The Bible makes it clear that by nature, we are spiritually dead and enemies of God. And in our foolish arrogance, we believe that we can earn our own salvation. All of us are born with an inclination to be Pharisees. Now God overcomes our hostility, and God brings us to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. For no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit, and that's in 1 Corinthians. And the Holy Spirit does this through the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's from Romans 1. And faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. So, it is that the Holy Spirit produces and maintains faith through the gospel, and so delivers the saving work of Jesus Christ to us. The Men in My Men's group and you in our, in our um, Bible study on Tuesdays, when we go around the room and ask for prayers, I ask for God to prepare all of your hearts every Sunday before you come here. I invoke the Holy Spirit. I pray, Holy Spirit, help me get out of your way. I say, Holy Spirit, do the gospel unto the hearers. That's his job. My job is to proclaim him rightly and truthfully. The Pharisee judged himself by comparing himself to other people. We heard him. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, like extortioners, like the unjust, like adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now here's a question. Are you listening? How often have you heard this story and thought this? This? God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this Pharisee. As soon as we start judging our righteousness by comparison to other people, we begin to become like the Pharisee. And as soon as we say that we are in any way responsible for our salvation, we join the Pharisee in bragging of our greatness, We draw attention away from God and toward ourselves. And as soon as phrases like, I should, I must, I have to, I ought to, and so forth enter our talk about salvation, we are in danger of taking on that responsibility for our salvation And this is a constant temptation. But thank goodness that the Holy Spirit has called us by the gospel, that he has enlightened us with his gifts and sanctified us and kept us in the true faith. For it is God, the Holy Spirit, who delivers the salvation earned for us on the cross by Jesus Christ. And he gives it to us by his gift of faith. And it is only by the Holy Spirit's gift of faith that we can join the tax collector in this parable and say, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. It is only by the Holy Spirit's gift of faith that we can go home today and every day justified. And it is only in the name of Jesus that this is true. Amen and amen.